Thing, but uh, welcome to uh, a live taping of Across the Margin, the podcast. Uh, <laughs> nice, nice work. I'm uh, your host, Michael Shields. Um, I want to say, first off, I love this room. We're in Love Velma. Uh, thank you to our gracious host, Nick Gordon. Um, he's not in the room right now, he'll be here soon, I'm sure. Who would want to miss this? But I also want to give a shout out to our media group, Osiris Media. Uh, you should really check out, I, I know we got music fans here, they have amazing music podcasts, that's osirispod.com, check that out. Uh, if you don't know about Across the Margin podcast, our goal is just to kind of talk to as many interesting and intriguing and um, dynamic people as we can, and we have one of those tonight, and I'm completely honored to have a uh, David Goodwillie on the show. He's the author of the novel American Subversive. Uh, he's a New York Times, which was a New York Times notable book of the year. Um, his memoir, is, which is a great name, seemed like a good idea at the time. And he also wrote Kings County, which we were going to talk about tonight because it's a book I really, really love. Um, he, uh, he has written for the New York Times, the New York Magazine, and Newsweek to name a few. I love that in his bio, he also uh, talks about he played, uh, he was drafted to play professional baseball and he was, he worked as a professional uh, uh, investigator at one point. That's wild. So David, thank you for coming on the show. It means a lot. Uh, welcome. Michael, thank you so much. It's, uh, I've been listening to a lot of these episodes of the podcast and it's, uh, it's, it's wonderful to, uh, to be on. Awesome. Awesome. So I think I, I want to lead with this because this book, like I said, I, I'm captivated by it. I think it's it's excellent. It actually it resonates with me because you know the time and space that it, it it exists in is something that I also existed in. So it's like it's it just it hits me in a lot of different ways. But uh, it's also it's so cinematic. There's like all this. Uh, there's, it builds with suspense. There's so much going on, and I was just like, it is perfect for an adaptation. And it, it, congratulations, like this has been picked up to uh, be a, a adapted for TV. Uh, we're working on it right working now. Yeah, it? It's been optioned and uh, a lot of novels get optioned and things yeah. can go wrong along the way. But um, <laughs> we're not there yet. so far, so good. Yeah. And uh, usually they try to get rid of the novelist as well. And uh, all the Hollywood people <laughs> take was, over. I, I was going to ask how involved are I'm you I'm allowed to point? be one of the writers on the show, awesome. which is I feel very lucky about. And it, another yeah. of the writers is Al Allison uh, Silverman. She's yes, done a lot of work, who, Russian Doll and such. She's written a lot of Russian Doll, and she's yeah. uh, got an amazing mind. And the book is, uh, we'll probably talk about, a kind of a complex weaving totally. of, of narrative, yeah. and she's great for something like that. Um, so I wanted to offer some uh, casting ideas. I'm, I don't know if you have any uh, pull there, but I just think <laughs> about, and I'd like to ask you like who who you could almost imagine in these roles, because it kind of you know would, would make me think more about like who they are. But so Fender... Um, how do you feel about Paul Dano? Paul Dano would be great. Yes. Perfect, right? He, everybody in the book is uh, a bit <laughs> off kilter and weird. And I think that Paul Dano is certainly the Hollywood version. And nobody's of that. weirder than Fender. 
Yeah, you don't, you don't even know. He's like the hidden character in the, the book. He's the hidden character, exactly. You don't even exactly. really know who he is most of the time. He, so he could pretty, pretty much be anybody. I mean, he know. was ushering people into Williamsburg. Like, that was kind of his role. Like, and just, the, it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we'll talk about the plot a bit. But yeah. the first time Fender appears in the book, he's um, umpiring a uh, softball game in McCarran Park in Williamsburg. Yeah. And uh, is wearing a leather <laughs> football hat from 1910. <laughs> And is so stoned he can't figure out if anybody's safe or out or balls or strikes. And so the, catcher, the game, the the game is going was on. Calling the balls the game is going on no. in spite of the umpire, not because <laughs> yeah. of the umpire. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the other one, I have one more um, for Chris. Uh, his name's Theo James. You watching White Lotus right now? Uh, yes, we were White just Lotus talking too. about, it, of course. So like the like like the bro. Um, kind of Wall Street guy. Yeah. That's that's who I have for Chris. I feel like that guy's gonna get uh, start getting very typecast in that kind of part. <laughs> we might now have to roll down the thing. Exactly. So let's get to the Brooklyn of it right away. Um, this book really reads to me as a love letter to Brooklyn, and in just a beautiful way that I, I really appreciate. Can you talk some about your relationship to Brooklyn when you were there and what it means to you? Yeah, this is my third book, and all three have been very New York City-centric. Mm. And I've lived in the city since my early 20s and have been in love with it since the day before since before I moved there. Yeah. And um, I, I went to college in Ohio. I grew up in Europe and kind of all over the East Coast, but I always wanted to get to New York. I always knew mm. I would get there. And I think my care, if there's one thing that carries through all my books, it's the kind of New York origin story. What makes a person move to New York yeah. from... Toledo, Ohio, or from the suburbs of anywhere that just, there's something about a person that moves to New York when their neighbor or their best friend or their brother or sister stay behind. And that, that thing in somebody has always interested me. And so my stories are always about whatever the contemporary time is in the book, Mm -hmm. but they always have quite a bit of backstory about how the characters get there. Mm -hmm. And, um, pretty soon after I moved to New York in the, in the like late nineties, it became very, and I was living in Manhattan in the East Village, it became very apparent to me that there was uh, something going on across the river, mm. uh, artistically, uh, musically, uh, in Williamsburg, in Greenpoint to a certain extent, in Bushwick a little bit. And it was kind of the beginning of a, an indie rock era that that very much became an era, it became a 10 yeah. years Kind of you could start it with the strokes and end it with like Vampire Weekend or something. But something from like, say, 2001 to 2011 um, that was a geographic uh, movement, a cultural movement based on a specific physical place. And that just doesn't happen very much uh, anymore. And that could be the last time it ever happened now that, you know, the Internet's taken over Mm -hmm. music and taken over everything else. But. Um, it was definitely going on there and all of these bands were coming up at the same time and they were all living in 10 blocks radius of each other and they were recording together and sleeping together and all this (laughs) stuff. And I remember going out from, uh, the city and I never have been a musician, but Mm -hmm. I've always been, I've always loved music so Mm -hmm. much. And I was trying to be a writer this whole time, but I'd go out there and it was so clear that this was. Uh, just this hot house of artistic creation going on. And I was very much a voyeur in it. I wasn't Mm -hmm. in the scene, Mm -hmm. but I just loved it. And I would go to the shows and, um, I I always knew I would write about it at some point, uh, and that it would end. And sure enough, it ended when hip hop became ascendant and kind of, uh, indie still around, but that, that those glory days of it died out. But those bands are still, I mean, you go into any, well, 
it was, the strokes are on in target today, but like, you know, they're, they're still around and a lot of that music still resonates with yeah. people. And so I knew that that would be a setting mm -hmm. for characters that would come there and maybe be doing something else, but they would be in that scene somehow. Yeah. It's so cool. I mean, that's what's so like fascinating about your book. It's very, it takes a snapshot of that moment you're speaking yeah. of and yeah. just it, it catalogs it, not just musically. I mean, the restaurants, the yeah. bars, like it just, it was, it was Going through it, it was bringing me back yeah. to like nights. It was and wild. so when you're writing about New York City, yeah. uh, so that the music kind of is, is a center point of the book, but mm -hmm. uh, I always try to write it around stuff too. So mm -hmm. Occupy Wall Street is in there. Restaurants like Balthazar are in there, like kind of touchstone places yeah. in a city that if you're from New York, hopefully, you'll, you'll be like, oh my God, I had a... I had a date there or I went to yeah. this place to yeah. see a show and it resonates with you because it's part of your own life too. And if you're not from New York and one of the cool things about being a writer is you get to go and do readings at like a, a library in Kansas city or in Minneapolis or something. And people who aren't so familiar with New York have a kind of a, a, a yearning for it as well yeah. and love reading about it because it's such a cultural just such a mecca for uh, so much stuff. And so you get it on both sides. You get the people that live there mm -hmm. who love reading about themselves and the places they go. And you get the people that kind of like wish they lived there or yeah. almost, uh, you know, kind of love the arts and still uh, are thrilled. There's a place like that where it exists and yeah. it's so important in people's lives. Did you um, have like that softball like team, like situation that she had where she met her friends. Cause I, uh, like I had a basketball team situation like that where yeah. we played, you know, that gym right near North seventh and Bedford. Yeah. We met every Tuesday night. And like, I think back now it was like, like this guy who was like starting out this little known thing called vice at the time. And like this guy who be ended up becoming like a huge chocolatier. That's like internationally known all these comedians, all these actors. And like, we were just like all just kids not even thinking about what we'd become, but that made me think of it so much when like she met all her friends through softball. So I think a lot, I spent a lot of time in Williamsburg and I live in Greenpoint now mm -hmm. and McCarran park is the park that separates those two neighborhoods. Yeah. And there's several softball fields there. And on Saturdays and Sundays, there's a, and still goes on, there's a co-ed softball league there and there are games at 11, one and mm -hmm. 3 PM. And it's all younger people. And you play for a bar and all the bars pay for the league and the 11 AM games like moving slow motion because everyone's so hungover. <laughs> and then the 1 p.m. games, people are kind of shaking it off and starting to play a little bit. And the 3 p.m. games are incredibly competitive. <laughs> and I always just thought that that was such a cool thing. And I was always shocked at how good the women were. They were mm. as good, if not better, than the men because you have to have two or three women in the lineup. And they would it was such a coveted thing. They would go find these women who had all played college softball uh -huh. and they're great. And so I always thought it would be cool to have, there's two women who are the two of the main characters in uh, Kings County. And I always thought it'd be really cool to have them meet at a, in a softball game in one of these leagues. Yeah. And so that is how they meet. They slide One of them slides into second base and they almost get in the fist fight <laughs> and they become best friends yeah. ever, uh, as soon as, as soon as the game's over. Yeah. Um, uh, you mentioned Occupy, so I'll go right there. Um, there's a point where uh, Theo is walking through it, and it's so cool because like you invite the reader into that moment. You, you get to see it. You get to see 
you know, the media center they have, the library they have, the kitchen they have. Did you do that walk? Did Were you down I there? I did exactly that you walk. Did that and walk, I spent right? some time there. But like the music scene, I was a voyeur. I wasn't yeah. holding, you know, I wasn't living in a tent down there. Well, I was it was going a voyeuristic there. moment too. Yeah. Like, yeah, he was, he was just checking it out. Yeah. But um, my characters are in their world, right? And the, mm. the, and the there's two main characters in the book. Theo is the guy and he's from, um, he's trying to break into publishing, but he's from the wrong side of the tracks. Uh, uh, from a mill town in uh, Massachusetts called Lawrence. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the main female character is named Audrey and she's from Cape Canaveral, Florida. And she has always loved music and she moves up to New York um, and has has grown up watching rockets take off and has Mm -hmm. this idea in her head of like a larger life out there and lands in Williamsburg on Bedford Avenue Mm -hmm. at exactly the moment that this scene is taking off. And they, and Audrey is, uh, you know, she's extremely likable. She's, you know, pretty, every, she loves music. She has good taste. Everybody loves her. And Theo's the opposite. He's weird and like withdrawn. And he was a football player who now is trying to get into, uh, publishing and they become, they meet each other and they become a very weird, but beautiful match. And, uh, this isn't really what your question was at all, but no, I'll get I, like to where you are, uh, I just I like wanted to explain who the like characters this. were. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. um, and I, and that's New York too, is these opposites mm-hmm. always attract and come together. Uh, and it's the randomness of that yeah. is something I've always loved. Um, and wait, what was your question? Like, uh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm uh, not, but. But so, okay. So these, so these characters, Oh, occupy. So these characters are living there. You know, the, the plot of the book is moving forward and mm-hmm. it is a love story about these two, but at the same time, the, the real world is moving forward. And I always want in my novels to have the real world very close in on yeah. what's the plot of the book is. Mm-hmm. So someone will be at a bar, but they'll look up at the TV and Hurricane Katrina's on the news yeah. or the Challenger exploding was yeah. a part of the book. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Challenger exploding mm-hmm. or uh, Occupy Wall Street, because just like in our lives, we're going to work, we're, we're being with our friends, but we're very aware if you read the news or, yeah. you know, talk to people yeah. that give something it, else is always going on yeah. and how involved should we be with the other stuff that's going on. Mm. And Occupy was one of those things, one of those moments where a lot of people were like, oh my God, this is, I should be involved in this and I can get involved in this. Mm-hmm. It's right down, uh, you know, in Southern Manhattan. And maybe this is something I can do to help, you know, change things. And it's so rare that you get an opportunity as a single person in the world to affect change like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And at the, but at the same time, um, it's not your quite your fight, you know, like, uh, um, and, and so I, I want those plots, the plot of the book to move forward, but I want that world to be very close in, mm-hmm. um, and, and in some ways affecting the plot of the book. Yeah. Makes it feel so real, too, yeah. In the in, in just in just affecting way, um, is Theo the character that like you're closely related to? I mean, because you're an athlete as well, yeah. And you're obviously, you're you know a writer. He was like kind of balancing this thing between being a you know a, a jock and kind of like this bookworm, and like also yeah. he's big too. Yeah. He's tall, and like I love the idea. He talked about how he was always aware of his presence and stuff. There's a lot of you and Theo. So I. I try to write away from myself in terms of who my characters okay. are. And I think okay. part of that is because my first book was a memoir mm. and I wasn't super comfortable going around the country talking about myself and my family. And okay. of course it's all my fault. I wrote the book, but like <laughs> I, I'm not, 
you know, I'm not a David Sedaris type. I'm not yeah, going to just yeah. do that again and again and yeah. again. Uh, I really did it because I didn't have the, I, I didn't know how to write a novel yet. You and write what you know. Yeah. yeah. And was, I had the story there and uh, I had had a bunch of strange mm-hmm. jobs, as you pointed out, uh, that make up the heart of that memoir. But um, because of that, and I've always thought it's a cool challenge to, mm-hmm. as a literary writer to write characters that are pretty far away from who you are. That said, mm-hmm. There are parts of the writer in every single character in every single book. I mean, yeah. of course there are. Mm-hmm. Um, but Theo is like, that's not my background at all. Okay. I never okay. played football, but I did. I, you know, I always wanted to, I was always very interested in publishing. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like Audrey, I was, uh, you know, Audrey's not me either, obviously, mm-hmm. but there are parts of her yep. that I'm, you know, I'm almost as close to Audrey as I am to Theo in oh, some wow. ways. Cool. But, and the same with the secondary, there's another couple in the book, mm-hmm. a, a banker, uh, and his, his young wife. And, and she um, works at Sotheby's, which she you, works at Sotheby's where I work. And so yeah. I knew the auction world pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's in a different place in the auction world than I was. So yeah, yeah like, uh, Theo is not me, but I love the challenge of, Writing away from uh, who from I am. Who you are. Yeah. You are exp- yeah. Getting to like the human nature of different yeah. people and all that. Very much. Yeah. And even with Williamsburg, mm-hmm. I didn't live in Brooklyn at that time. Yeah. I lived in Manhattan the whole time. That. We talked earlier. Yeah, I lived like, in East Village and I lived in Chelsea yeah. over by the High Line. Yeah. And so I was very much a voyeur on that music mm. scene. Uh, wishing that I was a musician, wishing that I was worked uh, with bands or something. It was an intoxicating time. I like, know. I was so right I would go wild. to the shows yeah. and just... You know, uh, wish I were more involved, but in the end, I, I'm glad I had that distance from it, and I think it helped me very much when I wrote. But the also, book. you were involved. Like the fact that you were there, that you were taking the train over, sure, you're yeah. more involved than like you almost by saying that, giving yourself credit to. Like we were there, it was, yeah. which is amazing. A lot of L train work. A lot of L train work. I love that train. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> it's good now. It wasn't great then. <laughs> um, change to me was like one of the biggest themes in this mm-hmm. book. It was. Uh, we talked about it kind of already, so I won't get into too much about the place changing, how the, you know, uh, music fans or artists were like veering their gaze towards Brooklyn, but also people changing mm-hmm. how, you know, uh, Sarah's outgrowing Brooklyn and, you know, and then she's kind of having second thoughts about it, uh, you know, because like her, you know, Chris starts maybe not being injured anymore because mm-hmm. she changed from that person. But like the idea of, how we change and how we grow out of these those times those crazy like times that they were was really brought up in a in a deep way and i was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about how you've why you presented that story of of how we change and especially when it in regards to new york yeah so there are certain cliches in in, in writing that are true <laughs> and one of them is that uh, if you start writing your characters and you know them really well, they do kind of take over and change for you in okay, some ways. Okay. And they kind of set a path. Like I, um, Audrey and Sarah start the book as best friends after the, after the, the second base softball scene. And um, then they grow apart because uh, Audrey stays in that music world yeah. and becomes kind of the indie queen of the North Side. She grows in it. Yeah, and Sarah, in it. Wants, uh. Sarah meets a banker and kind of wants a different life mm-hmm. on the Upper East Side of New York. And they grow apart and their friendship kind of, uh, uh, you know, becomes complicated. And um, those change and, and also all these characters go through these changes. But it helped a lot that New York, uh, again, as a character in the book, and New yeah. York changes so yeah. much. And when Theo and Audrey get together as a couple, they kind of, uh, Theo starts in New York and Audrey starts mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. um 
in Williamsburg, but they start moving farther and farther out as the city itself expands into Brooklyn. Yeah. And they end up in the, when the present day part of the book, uh, they're out in Bushwick. Mm. Um, and uh, they're just, it, it's almost like they're, the city is chasing them and the, the yeah. bad parts of the city are chasing them. And they are trying to stay pure yeah. and stay ahead of that change in some ways. And so you can play with the idea of change as a, as a writer in so many different ways. Mm -hmm. But what you can't do is have stasis. So things yeah. do have to move. And luckily, these four characters play off each other in the book um, almost perfectly in terms of like, um, you know, not everybody's sleeping with everybody, yep. but like everybody's having issues with everybody mm -hmm. on different levels, whether it's class issues or yeah. money issues yeah. or um, culture issues. Mm -hmm. And that made it very f complicated to write, but also very fun to write. Yeah. Um, and that's why I had uh, two couples, you know, four people instead of two people. Too. Yeah. Um it was cool. I, I love the idea that you did with uh, Sarah because, like, obviously she was running from the heartland for this change of New York, and then you mentioned how she found almost the heartland in the upper upper east side. That yeah, was right. That so was, she uh, ends up she, she ends, ends up, up basically at a job where she you know she's she's answering phones at Sotheby's for yeah. high end bidders and is so far you know and she doesn't need to even work. Yeah. And there's a line in the book I think um, where Chris says it would be better for you. Uh, for me, tax-wise, if you didn't work. <laughs> and, like, Audrey would have hated marriage, Audrey would have yeah. punched him in the face. Yeah. But Sarah's like, oh, okay, great. Cool. That's cool. A, you know, and people, like, um, people want different things from the city. Mm. People want different things from their partners. Yeah. And uh, uh, none of it's right and none of it's wrong, but mm -hmm. all of it mm -hmm. is very interesting to write about in a an almost Tom Wolf way, if you yeah. want to take it back to like Bonfire of the Vanities yeah. or something, where you have different levels of New York. And that's, again, another that's great thing about New York mm -hmm. is there are scenes of, you know, uh, high-end... Uh, Sotheby's. Sotheby's like big, auctions big money. Yeah, yeah. of like old masters paintings. Mm -hmm. And then there are the scenes... Grimiest, the grimiest, like, grimiest Bushwick clubs. Bushwick <laughs> clubs, uh, drug dens. Yeah. And that's New York to me. And yeah. that's why I love being there. Yeah. And I think I love writing about those highs and lows. Yeah. The book kind of, um, really climaxed in this, this moment where the, the this big reveal of everything that was going on, uh, I'll shy away from saying exactly just, you know, in case anyone listening hasn't read and they should read, but the way you told it, the tool you used was through a letter mm -hmm. and then that reveal. So it's kind of like a two part question. That reveal was really intense because, you know, it was about uh, an assault that, that mm -hmm. the main character went through. Um, I'd love to just hear you talk in any way you want to talk about it uh, using that letter tool. That like yeah. that big piece that that but what she said it was like a fourteen no wait I don't know the pages but it was like a twenty two page letter but also how intense it was kind of um you know uh, her world changed and she had to describe it to her boyfriend yeah yeah it was so, wild just to back up a second the book is Please. there's a murder mystery at the center of the book and this guy Fender who we were talking about in the beginning the umpire in that softball game uh, he goes missing and he's very close with all of them and they were all involved in something in the past that is obviously coming to light in mm -hmm. some way. And uh, they are trying throughout the book to find, to figure out if he's dead, if he's been murdered, what's going on with him. And uh, a big part of the, you know, the, the book is a love story uh, mm -hmm. with Audrey and Theo uh, and their relationship. And Audrey has not necessarily been truthful about her past. And that comes, you know, to a head uh, in this letter that she writes in the middle of the book. And it is a... Uh, it is a very difficult as a writer. I couldn't figure out how to make that scene happen yeah. um, for a number of reasons. And so I tried to write it 
as a conversation between the two of them, mm -hmm. but it ended up with just pages of pages of just dialogue, and that didn't work. And then oh, I you just, tried different angles on that. Uh, so oh, many wow. different angles. I tried wow. to do it in third person. That yeah. was ridiculous. And so I just, I, I finally just landed on letter because I love writing, reading a letter in the middle of a book. I think it's kind of cool. It like the whole brings different you font, out of the book. Exactly. Yeah. And it's something that she's, she's so ashamed of something she's done that I could see her as the character. She can kind say of it. not being able mm. to be in front of him and have that conversation, yeah. but still hoping that it would lead to that conversation mm -hmm. later. And I could also see her kind of as a, you know, uh, a bit of a, you know, manic person at that time, just scribbling page after page yeah. of this is what happened and letting it all out finally yeah. after years of not, of, of not telling him. And so I ended up on this letter and, but at the same time, I'm a, the letter's about a sexual assault mm -hmm. uh, and a bunch of other stuff. And at the same time, you're dealing with a level of kind of contemporary issues, which is can a guy write about a woman being sexually assaulted yeah, I was thinking in this about day that, and yeah. age? So that's another thing that, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and I've, I really try not to shy away or change stuff because of contemporary uh, culture or politics, but yeah. that's something I was very aware of yeah. as I was writing it and something that added to the difficulty of the situation. Totally. And something I asked, um, when I write, I don't like have writing groups and, and people that read a lot of my stuff, but once I'm done, I have a few people that will read yeah. my work and yeah. uh, kind of help me with stuff uh, that I really wanted a, uh, a couple of good female novelist friends mm -hmm, of mine mm -hmm. to read. Cause I was very, very concerned about that section Understood. and whether I had nailed it, whether I hadn't. And it turned out I hadn't at all. And what I had missed was oh, shit. Audrey's reaction to um, the assault itself. Cause I just did, the, I wrote the assault and I was like, Oh man, I've finished. That Wait, was like tough how, to write. How it affected her when how you talked about how she started afterwards. seeing the world as a yeah. darker place. Yes, afterwards. exactly. Okay. And then also, once Theo and her do start talking about it, how it affects their relationship mm. and how internalized it's all become for her. Yeah. And I needed to blow that part out and explore that way more than I did in the yeah. initial drafts. And so, yeah, that letter Great was. Great advice because that 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 really hits. That's that letter was difficult to write. Yeah. I wanted it to be hard hitting. I wanted it to be mm -hmm. so difficult to read. You almost had to stop reading it at yeah, times. Absolutely. Um, and then that sets up the third act of the book. It's yeah. so wild too. Cause like the book is, and we've talked a lot about it. It's a lot of fun. You know, it's like you're having a good time. You're out with them. You experience it. Then you, then you start getting into it and like you find out cause they kept, you keep alluding to like this thing, this thing. And then when you get to the thing, you're like, damn, like it's really, yeah, it's, it's weird. I'm not really a thriller writer. So I sometimes have trouble with the suspense aspect yeah. of it. And like, how long I don't do you, you string a person <laughs> along as, as, as you yeah. know, I don't much, I, I would characterize myself as more of a literary writer than mm. a, a thriller writer to my editor's, um, horror. <laughs> uh, he'd much rather have the commercial out more, but, um, you know, that stuff is, you know, even in like kind of more commercial stuff like Dan Brown or, you know, uh, writers like uh, John Grisham or something. Mm -hmm. um, I'll sometimes read books like that because I'm very interested in like how they string out suspense yeah. and how they, or how they build. have the end every chapter on a like, oh, my God, I got to keep going yeah. uh, thing because that's like more literary writers. Mm. Uh, don't, and I'm like air quoting literary because it's very hard <laughs> to like actually define that. Um that's not something that they typically do, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, I like both aspects of, 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 of that yeah. um, suspense and storytelling and mm -hmm. character mm -hmm. development. Mm -hmm. um, but I, um, 
And in this book, it starts, it almost starts much more character driven. And once you know the characters, it kind of yeah. takes off and it becomes a much more like uh, faster paced book. Totally. And I meant to do that on purpose. And some, oh, of the, that, some people are like, momentum, well, for sure. I really yeah. like the first half or I really like the yeah. second half. Yeah. And so it's, it's hard to really please everybody, sure. but that's the book I wanted to write. Yeah. Uh, this is not a question, um, but the quote, he imagined the city as a song you had to open your eyes to hear is fucking awesome. And thank oh, you. Thank, thank you. you for that. Well, uh, just, just to speak really quick to that. So please. Theo says that, and you asked yeah. if, um, I was like, Theo, where I am like Theo is that, um, he walks around the city with his eyes open, mm. like looking up at buildings yeah. and looking at people and looking at street signs mm -hmm. and like what, wondering what was there before. And I do do that. Yep. Yep. And that is something I loved writing about his his character because mm -hmm. Audrey just goes through life like looking straight ahead <laughs> and just having a good time. And Theo can't do that, and he's kind of always wondering about the ghosts of the past yeah. and like what's happened here, where am I going, like who did this, like what. And um, Audrey loves that in him too. Mm. And that quote that you just read comes from that part of the book where he's just, and, and it's a way for me to be able to write about the city as well, because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. as he's walking around it, yeah. and this is another thing you probably shouldn't do as a novelist is just write about a dude walking around a lot. But uh, if you're woke I, I and, did, if and you're all wide it. awake to it and seeing that yeah. way and like, and yeah. you're in his head and I really wanted to write what's what we call like a close third person book yeah. where. Um, you bring, you're very you, much in the writer and in, in you the do, you do for every head. character. Yeah. You bring you right inside the thing. Like that's, yeah. I think that's crazy challenging. I don't know how you seamlessly did that for each one. That's it, wild. You have to, one of the hardest parts about writing a book is you have to figure out not just what the story is, but like how you're going to tell that story, yeah. what the tone of the book is going to be. Mm -hmm. Are you going to, is there going to be a narrative distance from the characters mm -hmm. or is it going to be like, are you going to be in their head? Every thought that they're thinking yeah. all of a sudden is on the page. Yeah. And with this book, I wanted to be really close in their heads yep. all the time because I just felt such a, a kinship with them and I wanted them, I wanted just the reader to, to have something happen and just know what the character would think about that thing happening rather than me even having to say, Oh, Audrey laughed because you would just know she thought it would funny. Yeah. It was funny or sad or whatever it was. Cause you get to know that character it's, so well. Cause you've been so close to their thoughts. Yeah, it's just so cool. Not wondering what they're thinking, knowing yeah. exactly. And it's like, there's a lot of specificity, whether it's like restaurants, music, or just their thoughts yeah. in your book that really does well. I need to talk about the um, surprise uh, hero of the book to me, Carl. Um, yeah. He has a moment. I talked about the letter kind of being like this peak moment. I think there's another peak moment. It's it's when he like at a Fud, at a Fuddruckers in the it was at a Fuddruckers in a Foxwoods casino yeah. when it takes place, and he. <laughs> And he, it's the most real talk and it's, yeah. it, it's, it's, I didn't see it coming. It, he almost seemed like a throwaway brother character. And mm -hmm. you know, we you deal with a lot of the family trauma mm -hmm. that's uh, explored throughout the whole thing, but that was awesome. And I'd love to hear you talk just a little bit about how, uh, I don't know, like how you crafted that moment so yeah. perfectly and like what, like it was, it was awesome. So we talked about earlier about, who in real life, you know, who moves to a city and who doesn't, you mm -hmm. know, whether it's New York or Chicago or LA or any, you know, urban place and, and tries their luck in the big town. Yeah. And Theo does that. And his brother, Carl stays back in uh, Massachusetts yeah. and, um, they grow apart because of it. And Carl has constant problems and just, he just wasn't right for the city. And he's almost a stock character mm. for a while. Yeah. That's exactly uh, what I was looking Theo, to, yeah. it, you know, who, and Theo's trying to 
pull him down and say, you know, come to the city, come mm. be with me. But Theo at the same time was like, well, maybe I should go back home yeah. and take care of my brother and take care of my father There's guilt. and yeah. the city. And Theo's getting crushed by the city. He can't keep the publishing job. Mm -hmm. He just can't find a girlfriend before Audrey. And like, even when he's having trouble with Audrey, he's just like, maybe I should, maybe I'm not cut out for this mm -hmm. and I should go home. And he has this meeting with his brother, Carl, who's a, who's a gambler. So the only, Way like Adidas, will, Adidas zip up type. Yeah, yeah. Like, the only yeah. place Carl will meet him is, is Foxwoods <laughs> Casino. So Theo takes a bus up to Foxwoods because yeah. it's that important to him. And Theo's looking for answers from his brother, who's basically never had answers mm -hmm. his whole life. And all of a sudden, Carl like surprises him. And I mean, it's not really giving the book away and says, you know, you asshole, what are you doing? Like, stay in the city, stay with her. Look at me. Don't come home. And like the whole narrative and that whole relationship flips on its end. Yep. And uh, it's it was one of my favorite scenes to write. Also, it a is, difficult scene to write. It is the um, Goodwill Hunting yeah. when Affleck like is just like yeah. he's like if like I dream of the day where you're not here because you're better for this moment, yeah. which is fucking. Incredible. I also <laughs> spent a week trying to figure out how you order food at Fuddruckers. They give you this like. <laughs> button that goes off but then do you go up to the thing and get your burger or is there a waitress that comes over and gives you the food and so i was like calling fuddruckers like corporate <laughs> to see exactly what the foxwoods because nobody would answer the phone i remember like it was so difficult and i almost oh. took a bus up there myself to figure out exactly how that chain of this is this shit writers have to do sometimes, is figure out exactly how that worked and I remember that being like days of my life trying to figure out how the you ordered food at Fuddruckers. Anyway, yeah. I um, it's amazing how much I relate to this book because I actually had a moment. It was to Atlantic City where I sat down and I took a bus, and the woman next to me, a very an older woman, she um. She told me the same thing that the person he sat next to, she broke down like what they give you when you get off the bus yeah. for the casino. Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was wild to me. And, then, and then also I'm like, well, who cares? It's a novel. Like, <laughs> but it bothers me if I don't get it right. Yeah. Because inevitably Again, somebody emails me and is like, oh, you've never been to Fud Records, yeah. have you? And that really is annoying. So it I want to get it right the first time. It just makes it more authentic exactly. all the way around when exactly. you're creating this thing. Yeah. All right. Some like kind of quicker questions uh, as we bring this home. But who... Um, uh, what's the inspiration or did you know, uh, a gay cat like Roger? <laughs> All right. So I also just said nothing comes from, uh, did you guys feed him this question? <laughs> so I did have a gay cat named Roger. Yeah, really? It's the only character in the he book is that, a queen. that comes from my real life and, uh, an ex-girlfriend of mine, um, who I shan't name, but he, she is a literary agent, not mm. mine, but, um, we were living together. We, she moved in with me, and she brought this terrible cat named Roger, <laughs> who hated me and hated everybody else. Like, and you couldn't anybody who walked into our apartment, Roger would like get up on a high shelf and like just come flying from nowhere and attack. But Usually just, women, because she he, Roger did like men. Yeah. And of course, everyone's like, "Well, how do you know your cat's gay?" And I was like, "Well." Come meet Roger, and you will know. <laughs> Roger, I, we would, I would have this like Zen garden rake for the for the stupid litter box, yeah. and Roger, it would like be perfect, and Roger would look at it and just go right next to the box <laughs> on the floor, like the worst cat. And uh, I remember my father walked into the apartment once just to visit, and Roger's right there, and I'm like, Dad, be careful of this cat. And my dad walks in like. Just kind of kicks the cat aside, can't even deal with it. And Roger's like, ooh. Oh, hello. Like, hello. And like, love my father for the rest of the night. And I'm like, Roger, you little submissive <laughs> you little, little mm. freak. 
Um, so yeah, right. And so then uh, the, my ex and I broke up, and she's like, "Well, you know, I'll come back for Roger," and she never did. So yes, not a great mother. Palpot, reign of terror. Um, yeah. Have you? I have. Uh, have you been inside the 90th precinct in in AB? Because you really, I, I know I did. I've been inside there for book research. Okay. Uh, I didn't know where it was. I've picked a friend up from there before, but um, I, I went inside and I actually, like, a cop was like, What are you doing? Because I looked very <laughs> suspicious taking notes and trying to, I was like, Where are your interview rooms? And he's like, What? Like, so yeah, I did go and check it out. Yeah, he's uh, my friend who picked me up from there one time. Um, so. Is that pizza shop that uh, uh, would sell drugs real? Like, I know yeah, a lot about Brooklyn stuff. That was real? So that comes from a real story of a These friend of mine who's, questions I'm interested who in. was living on the, <laughs> on the second floor of a pizza shop in Williamsburg. Yeah. And they were dealing out of the shop. And you would order a different style of pizza yeah. for different drugs you wanted. And they would tape the drugs into the top of the box of the pizza and deliver the drugs and the pizza. And you still have to pay for the pizza. Yeah. On that note, um, is that history of... Cokie's Reel, where you talked about how they were... Very much so. And it's yeah. now the Levy, which is on yeah. Berry Street. Yeah, and special bar. I love the Levy, yeah. It, it, you can still see the little slot in the back where they... Uh, <laughs> where they paid the captain? Where they, where they would, yes, do the deal. This is a... <laughs> This is a bar that was open in the 90s in New York, the 80s and 90s. Blatantly called Cokies. Called Cokies, <laughs> and you could buy cocaine there. And everybody knew about it, and the police were in on it, and it was just this thing that existed when I first moved to New York. And I was like, that's not true. And so my <laughs> friends took me to Cokies, and it was true. Yeah. And it was like, it was the most amazing thing of all time. It was spelled K-O-K-I-E-S. Yeah. But uh, it finally closed down in 2002 because uh -huh. it got so ridiculous <laughs> that like, everybody was like streaming over the river from Manhattan to go. And it got too blatant. But um, yeah, that's a that's a legendary Williamsburg spot. That's wild. Um, did you have that moment? It felt so real. It's all I'm asking. It's, it's just a niche moment in the book. The. Uh, when he's in the elevator with the big bag of manuscripts and like, it's like, is it, it's like, like uh, so it that I did publishing big wigs are all around you. And so there was a time when you were, would carry, and there's some people in publishing in the room here. Yeah. There was some time, a time when you would carry manuscripts around yeah. and obviously you, and nobody's done that for a while, but like, uh, in the book, which takes place in 2011, mm -hmm. um, it's, it was just at that crossover period where you would still be lugging manuscripts home. Mm. And Theo, at this point, is uh, in charge of the slush pile, his publishing house. And it's the last publishing house that has a slush pile, which means that anybody in the world can send their novel in and somebody's going to read it. You don't have an agent like as the, as the buffer, which you now to sell a book, you have to get an agent before you can sell the book. But back then... Uh, there were a few more publishing out there, are a few publishing houses that still you could just send it in and somebody had to read it. Some intern or editorial mm -hmm. assistant had to read it. And so Theo thought he would work his way up by finding, you know, the catcher in the rye and the slush pile. And he would just, he was so serious about it. He would just take this huge thing home every night and read as much as he could. And his roommates all made fun of him. Yeah. And he would take this huge backpack back. And there's a scene where it's basically the whole chapter is his just his commute <laughs> it's to really work with one of these massive backpacks on his back and it causes all kinds of problems his whole way to work on it's the really subway. great like in the bigger picture schemes we're talking about like bribery and the whole thing but like yeah. i love the backpack scene. and this is an uh, uh, i mean this probably gives away a little bit but uh -huh. like his roommates think this is so ridiculous that they put 
uh, without him knowing a bunch of bricks in the bottom of the <laughs> backpack and then stuff the manuscripts back in there. And Theo's like a tough, big, tough guy. Yeah, and totally. he, home. he takes this backpack and he's like, God damn, this is heavy. And it's like, you know, hot, 100 degrees <laughs> summer day. And he's lugging this thing around the city. He's in the subway, which is like it's baking down there. And it's a crowded subway car. And he's just going nuts. And he can't figure it out. And he finally, like, pages later gets to work. And all this stuff happens mm. to him on the way. And he gets to his desk and he like takes out all these things and he sees the bricks at the bottom and there's a note in there from his roommates saying, lighten up, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. It's really, it just like the roommate thing. The whole, everything just brings back. Um, uh, what are you working on now? Like what's next? So having written three books about New York city, um, I'm writing historical fiction for the first time. I'm writing a book awesome. that takes place in uh, 1947. It almost feels like this was historical fiction now, I mean, looking well, back. Well, when I started I mean, writing it, it wasn't, <laughs> yeah, but it yeah. took a while to write. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then COVID happened. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it, it's difficult to write about contemporary moment, mm-hmm. I feel. Mm-hmm. Everything is political. Everything's cultural. Uh, but... More than that, we all know everything that's going on yeah, all the time. Yeah. So, like, there's no great revelations about mm. the culture, about other people's lives, because we can just, we're just inundated with it from, you know, the, as soon as we wake up all throughout the day. And I just feel like, uh, and I feel like I know New York, and I've done New York books now. Yeah. I'll, I'll always be writing about New York. Yeah. But at some point, I just wanted to do something different. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I'm switching gears and writing this. I, I lived in France for a while, down in Bordeaux, and awesome. I found out about this amazing story uh, that at the end of World War II with the French resistance and a train gets robbed and this book follows the money uh, through generations awesome. and is about how money, what money can do to people. And, Fantastic. Uh, and it's really fun to write. It's a very, uh, it's a real challenge yeah. to write historical fiction, but I'm loving it. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're, I love it. You're challenging yourself a little bit. Out, out very of much realm. so. Yeah. Um, thank you for doing this. Thank you for taking me back to a time period to the Trash Bar, to Zablowski's, yeah. to Black Betty, to Sweetwater, to Iona. Like, it was just like the journey. I was at Iona the other night. It's right, still there. Right. Yeah, sure. no, and a couple of them I mentioned sure. are, still, are still there. It's still, it's still happening. But uh, it was just, it just, it was so fun to be back in that world. And like I said earlier, like, it's like a perfect snapshot to a moment that was really special. Yeah. And you do it such justice. And it's, it's an amazing book. So happy to talk about well, it. Well, Michael, with you. thank you so much, yeah. and uh, it's great. It's it's just a pleasure when a book has affected somebody yeah. uh, as much as it has you. And it's uh, yeah, it's a pleasure to chat, and I uh, really appreciate it. And uh, your podcast is wonderful. I've been listening to episodes as I've been driving up and down <laughs> from the mountains to New York. Yeah. So uh, keep going. It's wonderful. Awesome. I won't stop. Hey, and thank you everyone out here for, for joining us yeah, for this. Thank this you is so a lot much. of fun. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, David Willie, everybody. Cool. Pick up some cargo I think I know the bloody way by now, Frankie Turn the goddamn radio down, thank you Pull over, count the money But don't count the 30 in the glove box, buddy That's for to buy Lucille some clothes Bang, bang, bang went Frankie's gun He shot me
Rolls Zones, double fines Don't pass the double lines Trailer McDonald's, rest stop trailer Double wide I saw a man hit my mom one time Really, I heard him so damn bad I had to hide in Jersey Called my mom, I told her In the dresser, there's 10 or 20 dollars But there ain't no lesser As far to take my sister To the picture show Bang, bang, bang Went Frankie's gun He shot me podcast is in the loop the legion of osiris podcasts osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with live experiences and podcasts about artists and topics you love get in the loop at osirispod.com